Hey everybody, how are you? How are you? How are you, everybody? We are now recording the. All right. Okay. Uh, hi. Hello. So you had a trip down to Great. Well, no, down to no, Huffs. Huffs. <laughs> no, they don't call it Huffs. It'd <laughs> be cool if they call it Huffs. <laughs> huffs. Uh, yeah, I went to Huffs last week. Uh, Greg wasn't able to join me, mm-hmm. but we did. Uh, guest host sit-in show where i had two guest hosts i had uh luke and greg greg from greg huff from huffs and luke purcell and it was it was a good time we um drank i think we did what four beers and uh tasted some pretty yummy ones mm-hmm. and had some beers that neither of the guys had had before which was cool like the michelinie's irish red i was talking about on the show last week they had it on tap there so it was one of the beers that we did. I was looking forward to actually talking about it on the show while drinking it instead of going from memory when I had it out in San Jose. And uh, Sarah Nevada Nooner. We did this wheat wine from Lagunitas, which was a crazy hoppy monster of a beer. And what was the last one? I forget. Alpine McKinley's Irish Red. Yeah, I just talked about that one. That's Brooklyn Wild Horses. Oh, the Corner. Brooklyn Wild Horses, right, which you've had before. You had a saver. It was a collaboration between Brooklyn and New Belgium and Blue Jacket. You might not remember it, but you, I'm sure you had it. Kind of a sour porter. <clears throat> they have lots of those. <laughs> saver, saver. I was looking at uh, some of the food and mm-hmm. your parents. It's like it's going to be another good show. Excellent. Hey. Yeah, we got all the, um, last week we recorded all the uh, intro drops. Greg records the intro drops. And I cleaned them up last week. I put them into the multi-track sessions this time. So now we just drop in the shows. And uh, we made the HTML page. And So we should, I mean, ideally you should see the, the, um, the salons go up the day, you know, like right after we get back from, or or the next day. Mm, I need to make all the individual text files is what I need to do still. Okay. So I need to take care of all the text off the HTML page, make an individual text file for each one. So when they get put into the feed, they'll have descriptions. Yeah. So I need to do that part still. But we're getting there. It takes a lot of work getting the uh, tooling set up for Saver. I mean, it's, what, 18 shows mm-hmm. all put together, released at once. Pow. Um, did you have any interesting stuff happen other than that this week? I'm messing with some fun stuff at work, but you generally don't care about that kind of thing. So, I mean, if if you're interested, go ahead talk talk about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're using VMware for virtualization at work right now. I gotta get rid of this Rubik's cube. I'm gonna be crackling it and playing with it the entire time. Uh, I'm getting better at the Rubik's cube. Still haven't beat my, like, two minutes, 20 seconds, as well as good as I can get. Get this man some wax. He can play with that to his heart's content. Check, won't. But check that out. It's already pretty loose. It's, uh... Oh, oh wax for tearing. I think I meant wax for speeding up the Rubik's Cube. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wax for meticulously breaking into tiny pieces. Yeah. Uh, so we've been using VMware for years, but we're using it on the cheap, so we don't have all the great features that you really have to pay a lot of money for for VMware. Like, the license we use... Oh, just reminds you, do you want to go and cheat and close your garage door? I'll close it later. Okay. The um, the lights on. So I mean, it's like it's inviting oh. people. 
Yeah, I gotta move the table saw and stuff. I might as well. Let me pause and... Alright. Alright, I'm back. Garage is all sealed up. So I was saying, we're doing VMware on the cheap, where the license we pay for is like 500 bucks for three VM servers, where generally it would be $2,500 a server. What does VMware do for you? It allows us to run a bunch of stuff on one machine instead of a bunch of machines. So it's just virtual machining. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. And uh, so we're doing it, like I said, three for 500 as opposed to 2500 a piece or 5000 a piece. Uh, but, and we build our own tooling to kind of manage it. And the tooling's kind of stale, hasn't been touched in years. So I'm looking at using some of the open source virtualization like Xen or KVM. So I've been doing some testing and experiment with that stuff. And I found a, a pretty neat uh, platform called Archipel. And uh, I don't have it up and running yet, but it, it seems pretty promising. So I'm kind of excited about messing around with that some more. Archipel. Is it anything related, related to an archipelago? Is it? I can't tell what the root of the thing is, but it's spelled just like that yeah. without the ego part. Um, the weird thing is, instead of like a for its communication, instead of like being a web server, it does use SQLite, but instead of like a database, it sends all its commands and messaging through XMPP, which is like Jabber server. Uh-huh. So like it, it all like the client talks to the Jabber server and the agents talk to the Jabber server and everything's orchestrated through the Jabber server, which is kind of weird. I almost passed it by because of that, but then I started looking into it more. I'm like, that's kind of slick. So, so it's, it it runs on Google Talk, <laughs> kind of. So eJabberD is more than just IMs now. It seems mm-hmm. like it's kind of like a, a message queue type service now. Almost like RabbitMQ or other kinds of message queuing, like SQS or something like that. Okay. Uh, so I think that's why they're using it. I don't know why they picked Jabberd as opposed to, um, you know, another message queue type service. But I think that's why they're using it. I don't know. Like, so there's a UI where you control it. It's a lot like Virtual Center for VMware. But then at the end, like for giggles, like yeah, and you can use you can use your IM client to send commands to your VMs. Like you can say like, hey server, how are you today? And it's like I'm fine, I'm running. <laughs> and you can say shut down. Okay, I will shut down. Oh, cool. So this will get us back to the AI question because <laughs> will the server then get complex enough to develop its own personality? Yeah, probably not on its own. <laughs> But can I am you, Jeff? <laughs> I see you're trying to shut me down. I cannot yeah. allow you to do that, Jeff. <laughs> uh, we we talked um, we've talked about the Edge.org stuff before a couple times. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and and I showed you that they uh, just released released one about AI. And I don't know how many of those you read, but most of I, them I didn't look at it yet. Were people who uh, the question was a little weird. The question was, um. What do you think about machines that can think? Uh, and a lot of the answers were kind of what you might expect, which is, uh, I think I'm one. You know, so mm-hmm. I think, you know, we all are machines who can think. So it's kind of a, the, the question kind of loses a little bit of, it, of its meanings. Or a little bit of the intention. There were one or two scared people like, uh, what's his name? Um... Sam Harris was, you know, really, really scared of AI. Uh, you, like, you like the shirt? I'm just trying to figure out where it's from. Yeah, there was a cat with a crown and sunglasses and a colorful kimono or something. I don't know. It, it, it was like five bucks and it looked funny. And I was just like, okay. It's every day struggle. Every day struggle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's how cats 
probably feel exactly right? <laughs> the, way the, the way this one looks so the uh yeah so and, and there there i think were some interesting arguments too which i don't know if, if there, anyone explicitly said this but i was thinking about it and like we already actually do have ai it's we're we're not recognizing it because we're so used to it um but we already do have ai they're called things like corporations or government or culture these are semi-autonomous groups that have self self-organized and have and are performing uh intelligently doing things there are systems that are in, that are doing intelligent things now, are they conscious? I don't know. Are they intelligent? Sure. It's an interesting way to look at it. I'm not saying it's it's wrong. I never really thought of it this way, but you know, it's you have individuals, you know, working as a team, and when the team gets big enough, it almost seems like one of these intelligent entities, right? Because you really can't like you can't control government type mm-hmm. thing, right? It's there's things it does on its own and no one person can stop yeah. it. Not even the president, right? So your body is a, is a host of cells yeah. mm-hmm. that are all you know turned into one being, but it's a host of a bunch of differentiated yeah. cells can't stop and cancer. other life forms. Can't, yeah, can't, can't will cancer not to grow, right? So you can will your body to fight it, apparently, but you can't you can't will cancer not to grow. True, right? So I, you know, so. It then it kind of cuts the the question down when you think about it like that because the problem is people are getting scared of the idea they see they see computers as potentially turning into this these as as sort of challengers to humanity right because because we see ourselves as individuals even though where we operate on several scales then we see these as little individual things like this laptop is, is we, I think of it as individual in some sense and we see that as a as a potential a potential threat and the re- the reason why we do is because we're not used to its power at doing one thing that we're not very good at which is sorting right but that's it i mean that that's all computers do so i mean i I think that if humans and another species of intelligence could, could you know, they would have to be on a similar level of intelligence to be able to coexist, co-compete. If one gains super intelligence... Then I don't even know what that really be. means. I mean, even... I mean, the whole thing, the whole article was just saying... Like the article that from that you, you said before, the mm-hmm. argument in the article was, was that superintelligence would be uh, intelligence that is incomprehensible to our own. And okay, but what is that? How do you quantify or qualify that? There wasn't really any good way. It was just well, imagine uh, intelligence that's a hundred times more powerful than yours. <laughs> how, how does that well, work? Yeah, I mean that's. It's part. That's part of his point, though. Is it's everything will be magic, you know? And no, that that's an assumption that I don't necessarily think is is follows from the premises. I don't think that just because I, I mean I don't understand how 
simply more intelligence means the ability to do things that are, that uh, appear magical. I understand the idea that, of course, something that is uh, that, that is indistinguishable. For, I mean that that sufficiently advanced, is, yeah, sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. I Understand that, but I don't understand. Well, I think the, I think that it goes intelligence from necessarily means you get more advanced. Well, with intelligence and the increase in compute capacity and the iteration on intelligence, it's going to become exponential. You know, the story is talking about how it becomes yeah. exponential. So but then they have the technology. Think, I mean, computers yeah. don't think at all like we do. They'd have, <laughs> they are not good at all of the things right. that we're good at. Well, I mean, the, that was the, uh, another side of that article, right? It wasn't all about, about the, the super, um, well, a computer turning into a bad god, you know, basically. Uh, like, but back to my, I didn't really want to bring up that article, but, you know, that's going to be a lot of my basis, I think. Uh, but what I was trying to say is, if, you know, humans and AI felt that we were on the same level, then I could see it coexisting. It's when... AI starts to seem smarter than us, do more than us, take control of more things without our, you know, then it, there's going to be strife there. You were talking about how, what did you say earlier? You were talking about, um, I forget which part, it was early on, you, you mentioned something, right, where, uh, oh, I am a, thinking machine mm -hmm. type thing, right? And you're a thinking machine. I'm not afraid of you because equivalently, you know, you can't... Well, no, I'm not afraid of you because we have evolved to live in societies sure. together. I mean, uh, if if we were dragonflies, right. I would probably be very afraid of you. I'd probably either see you as a threat to, to my... or as a mating partner, depending on... Sure. ...what the situation was. Right. Right, it didn't really come out as how I how I wanted it to come out. I, you know, it's the back to that in the article I talk about. You know, maybe we would become pets to the computers, mm -hmm. right? And you know, humans don't want that. You know, we don't like flying in airplanes when we can drive cars and be in control of our destiny. You know, and it's the same kind of. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that that's a cultural assumption. Uh, that I mean, cultural cultures change, and how how people like to be treated certainly change, mm -hmm. uh, and we have ample evidence for that. So, the idea that humans don't necessarily want want to be treated like pets, I, I don't imagine that's necessarily true. I think that you could convince people to be treated like pets just fine. Some people will rebel against it, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, maybe. As long as we have other people around, I think we'd be fine. <laughs> you could be right. But, I mean, I think that's the, the concerning part, is when computers are outdoing us and we lose that control, that feel of control. I think part of the reason why this has captured imagination is because the graph of computing power and how it's increased looks a lot like a, a, another graph. Uh, and this was a graph uh, of human population uh, over the past, say, 
the history of uh, history of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at it, it's basically this steady, steady thing that you know goes around a, a billion people or so, and then all of a sudden the industrial revolution kicks in and just goes, <laughs> just mm-hmm. shoots up right. asymptotically. Uh, that is, I was listening to a podcast that was mentioning th- this thing, and that is especially over that kind of time scale, which was a hundred, two hundred years. Mm-hmm. That is. Essentially unprecedented in nature, as far as we can tell. That oh, is, sure. yeah, uh, that is a that is humans. Well, we're starting to call it a different period in our evolution now. I mean, it's it's it, what it is is it's humans dunking on nature. <laughs> like we are just <laughs> we have just bam just defeated it. <laughs> Why is nature crying? <laughs> it, I mean, it, you just got dunked on. Yeah, it, it is. It is us just kind of. We figured it out. We and, and so it's it's kind of unique the situation that humans are in. It really is not not anything that we have observed anything do. The, the closest it comes to it um, is probably something like the Cambrian explosion in terms of the success of vertebrates that took tens of millions of years, if not hundreds of millions of years, for right? Because it, it was a non-intelligent yeah. system. Where uh, you know this whole intelligence yeah. compounding thing mm-hmm. is, or the the um, success of cyanobacteria in turning the Earth's environment completely on its into an oxygenated one, that was a huge, massive change. But st- still, that took millions upon millions of years for that. Mm-hmm. This is this is a tiny bit of. Year. Well, I mean, another reason they captures so much imagination is because it's the perfect parable story yeah something a person creates destroys them mm-hmm. yeah it's it definitely i mean it, it it all comes back to sort of you know uh mary shelley frankenstein the the, the whole hubris mm-hmm. of, of creation we have this and there's also a tendency for people to um to think of uh, apocalyptically, right? I mean, we we believe that uh, everyone believes that the apocalypse is going to happen in their lifetime. Um, so that's why not everyone, not everyone, but I, it's a common feeling that sure. the end is near. Everyone, it, people, it crosses people's minds, and if nothing else, it certainly crosses through people's mind that uh, the whole world's changed. It, it wasn't what it used to be. Used to be better in my time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Everyone has something like that. <laughs> uh, you you can't not it's sort of it, it's like a compulsion to think that way. I, I try I try to fight it when when I do think that way. You know when I see like things on I listen to music I'm like oh god music used to be so much better and then I'm thinking no no <laughs> I I'm I'm taking just that that uh, that impulse. Uh, and applying it wrongly, uh, things that I'm not used to, and applying it to. Did you see that story? Speaking of music and evolution, did you see that story recently, where they have? It was an evolutionary biology uh, place, I think, in England, the University Department of Evolutionary Biology, and they did research on uh, the like how quickly music has changed, like over periods. And there's like been two revolutions, right? One is like the inventor of rock and roll. But the most drastic change in music was um, 
like when DJ Jesse Jeff and the Fresh Prince debuted, like that and going into hip hop, you know, uh, was like the uh, the most revolutionary time in music. Where where did they come up with that metric? They were looking at. It almost like you know how Pandora has all those music genome stuff mapped out with, uh-huh. you know, basically analyzing the music kind of that way, and then the rate of change of popular. Well, I think I saw something like this songs. where where they showed like everyone like thinks that the '80s was when their all the music was interesting, but all the '80s. Were, '80s was actually this like, thing of like almost m- all music was the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and there, and there was, yeah. I think you're right. They like go around the DJ, around that area when hip hop started to come in. The popular music, right, became uh, very diverse. Let's see if I can find that article real quick. Charting music's big revolutions. Yeah, it was on Science Friday. That's where I heard it a couple weeks ago, or I don't know how many weeks ago. I just like last weekend when I was out in the garage working, I listened to like eight or ten Science Fridays mm-hmm. all in a row. So it could have been a while back. May 8th. Um, so, I mean, here you can kind of see, they kind of graph it out, right? And I'm not sure exactly what all this means, but, you know. I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of colored. Uh, fat and. Yeah. Look like a bunch of worms that are, or snakes that have, like, things in different parts of their digestive <laughs> tract because it's fat and. So, like, I guess here, yeah, like, right around 2000, or I guess before 2000, mid 90s. Where I guess probably the wider is the more um, rapidly things are changing or okay. something like that. You have to you yeah. have to look at the article. I mean, it, it doesn't really uh, transfer well over radio, but yeah. I mean, I can I can certainly see that. I think that we're seeing now. It, if you, if you look around, there's actually the, the music is pretty diverse. I mean, there's a lot of electronic music. There's a lot of hip hop. There's a lot of um, yeah, it depends on how you're cutting it. Though, Country, if you're, look, if you're looking at popular music, the pop music, it seems I, I haven't done the metrics right. Maybe it's because I'm an old fogey now, but it see it kind of feels like the '80s again, where it's it's kind of narrowed and it's kind of the same sound for a lot of popular music. I think you're you're filtering that through what your kids like, because that's what you hear. I don't know. Kids don't really listen to popular. They still listen to kids' music. Oh, okay, so. so when they when they do, and they will. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. It's gonna be a low point in my life, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, your kids will still be fun, but they will start to have other interests besides you. Right. <laughs> I understand that. No, it's the songs that I do catch. You know, and granted, it's it's almost none. Because I listen to public radio and I listen to podcasts. And if I was yeah. listening to music, it would be Pandora on my stations. Um, yeah, not not terrestrial radio, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of music, I, I, I uh, after our last show, I uh, bought three The Bird and the Bee albums. Okay. Uh, and I thought the first one actually wasn't very good. Uh, and then the second one, I was like, okay. They hit their groove in the same Model way. covers or individual or in, uh, um... no, they're, they're, um, the only one that was they had a, they had a whole cover album of Hall Notes songs, mm-hmm. but okay. uh, I bought that one too, and that's interesting and and it's it's fun, but it's not. I mean, there okay. are some good Hall Notes songs. There are some okay Hall Notes songs, <laughs> uh, but 
and Man Eater is such a great, <laughs> it's a wonderful song. It's a very, mm-hmm. very poppy hook. So they did a lot of cool stuff with that. But there are some great ones on the uh, on the second album. But the first Bird to Be album wasn't really very good. But it, you know, I thought, hey, I'm, I like this, so I'm right. gonna gonna buy it, gonna pay for it. It's interesting that it, four or five years ago, I would would have said, okay, I'm gonna look on the internet to see where I can steal this. Uh, but now, since I could have, I just was able to buy it with, <laughs> with mm-hmm. my thumb. Right. I did that, and I still could have gone on and you know, mm-hmm. gone to YouTube and and scraped everything or, uh, or found it online somewhere. But just the ease of having of being able to download it instantly made it so I was much more willing to spend money. Oh, it definitely put a crimp in the. Uh illegal music trade yeah. making music easy and relatively cheap i think that would it really isn't that much i mean inflation has gone up a little bit but it, well i'm saying relatively yeah, cheap yeah. it's you could still if you're if you get a lot of music you could save a lot of money by stealing it still yeah but the convenience and if you're not spending a ton and you know someone like this small artist you know i'd, I'd be more likely to throw money right. their way than you know by the new Taylor Swift album. But that was, you know, the music industry fought so hard against this. And if they would have sort of embraced the idea, they, they would have gotten ahead of this so much quicker than they did. And they, and they they might've been able, they might've been able to be the distributor too. Yeah. And got all that revenue. If they were thinking ahead. But no, they're just like protect our protect our our revenue stream, uh, even as it's shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And I think we're seeing the same thing with like television happen. Uh, I mean, they the TV networks got ahead of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, they created like Hulu, and but but they didn't right. realize that. Uh, well, it turns out that streaming is there's going to be a whole bunch of ways for people to get streaming, so. And there's going to be a generation of kids who don't grow up watching primetime TV. Yeah. Who don't consider that as part of their entertainment options. If they're if they're not grown up being indoctrinated to watch the, one of the three main networks or even cable at 8 o'clock p.m., mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to have that habit. Yeah, I mean, time shifting is, you know... But I mean, not just a, the time shifting, but they might not even have the habit of watching, like, these network-produced shows. Right. You know, they might find their entertainment in, well, video gaming and social media and YouTube. And, I mean, they'll still watch movies and stuff. You know, there's enough culture to keep movies going and probably TV as well. But I think you're going to find more and more people are just not trained, not don't have that habit of watching TV at night. Well, think about this. I mean, radio was huge. And then radio, when TV came around, it, it uh it became something that, for the most part, people listen to in their car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there wasn't a whole lot of innovation around it until, really, I think, podcasting came out. And there was finally the ability for people to get radio that they wanted on demand. Mm-hmm. And now we see podcasts of all sorts and all types. You have old radio show-type podcasts yeah. that are um, very successful. So it, it really it was basically a, a function of... You had the technology had to catch up with the way that people were digesting it. I was listening to. I normally don't listen to this week in tech, 
but it was around their 10th anniversary, so I just wanted to tune in and, and see what they were talking about these days. How curmudgeonly has Leo Laporte become? <laughs> curmudgeonly? Actually, you know, he went through a curmudgeonly period. I feel like he's getting a little more spry. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's, he's on the rebound, I think. Um, I just figured he'd just turn into a darker, I, I, darker I've, shade of, like, Grinch. <laughs> I've been listening to Security Now every week for 10 years, uh-huh. so I've, I've heard him. And there was a time where he was getting... Uh, Curmudgeonly, a little bit senile at times, but he he seems rather spry. Maybe he had a transfusion or something. I don't know. I, I know he got like divorced for the eighth time or whatever. So. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, they were talking. One of the questions they posed was, "Why do we still have to record stuff? You know, TV, right? Like, why is TiVo and DVR still a thing?" And they actually made a point where. Stuff that's on streaming services isn't always on streaming services. So even if it's on the hard drive on your rented DVR, it's still more in your possession. Mm-hmm. And some things are important to have in possession. And oh, um, Dvorak was on this show, right? So he mentioned some conspiracy theory thing that that the government, you know, had yanked off, like critical to the government that they had yanked off the the streaming services or what? something. Like you can't find this anywhere anymore, you know. Crazy Dvorak shit. <laughs> Dvorak is such a nut. <laughs> yeah. What a nutball. And this is this is coming from a genuine nutball who's saying this. <laughs> it's telling you Dvorak is a huge nutball. Yeah, he maybe it's just to get a t- hyperbole to you know get people to like turn his turn their head and look at him. But you know, it seems like he he plays well. He plays the part that mm-hmm. he thinks that. Uh, Normally, you play that part long enough, and it, it, it sort of takes right. Over. Like you know. It's not inconceivable that within the next three years, government's going to like take over military rule type stuff. I mean, Jane Helm fifteen, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's never. He's. I've never heard. Him, like I said, uh, I haven't really listened to anything Dvorak in years. Tuned into this twit. I don't listen to No Agenda. I did a long, long time ago. Yeah. I was listening to Adam Curry and Dvorak and No Agenda, but not not in long, long time. Uh Anyway, they were talking about, yeah, this whole, you know, why should we still have to record stuff? I'm like, yeah, why? You know, it's so stupid. Why can't you just go to your cable box and watch whatever? Mm-hmm. And, well, part of the problem is kind of what you guys are working on. It's how do you store that information? That's a lot of information to store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you store that information and access it quickly and then give it out to? That's, it, that's a hard problem. Yeah. It's a problem that. Computers are good at it. Turns out they're they're good at like I said they're good at sorting lists. Yeah, they're really good at sorting lists, and um, that's what we use them for for the most part. Yeah, I mean the nice thing about a cable company though is they have a whole bunch of replays, right? They're not unique accesses, so you know there's a huge return. There's a, I mean for like video on demand type stuff, there should should be a big return on record show X. It's going to mm-hmm. get it watched hundreds of thousands of times. I so. wonder if as storage gets cheaper and cheaper and uh, and smaller and smaller and, and we're able to you know keep fit more and more, I wonder if eventually if there are still cable networks going on in 10 years, if you'll just, you'll have the last three days of cable 
available to you and you'll just be able to then choose and right i hear you're uh, well, well what i thought of when you started talking i don't know if you meant this or not was you know it, and if we step back five years it would be like wouldn't it be cool if you had a cable box in your house that just recorded everything mm-hmm. like you know buffer basically everything yeah. but see we don't this whole on-premise storage thing's going away going away crazy fast so like that I wouldn't, I can't imagine that would ever be in an on-premise in your under your TV box, right? This would be a streaming thing from an internet company or a cable company. Well, some of it's going away, some of it's not. I mean, there are game companies that do like there's like PS Now that does PlayStation streaming, and even they're they're, they're trying to do stuff where they they're, they're streaming graphics now, and then they're processing in other mm-hmm. places. But they still have hard drives in the. In the game console, you still have hard drives in your well, sure, but cable I mean, boxes. well, you need the hard drive, some of it to buffer the video stream, uh-huh. right? Because you don't want to play it right off the wire. And then gaming is different because you're going to have a bunch of it's going to be executed locally, right? And it's not just a well, video no. I mean, crack. they actually have stuff where they're they they are doing some doing out out of you're sending a signal and it's coming in and it's doing the processing of the game outside of your system and then coming back to to you so it's actually cloud processing of the hmm. of the game which is i mean it saves you money on saves the individual money on rendering locally yeah, well, they send back like um Vector graphics or something. They no, they, they send or... back a graphic stream. I mean, they send back just like oh, okay. just like a TV just, stream, just like. high def video. Of... Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, you have do have to worry about lag in that situation because then your controller well, lag is considerable. Well, I mean that that's the thing. You're if you're sending back high def video stream, you know that's going to be chewing a big chunk of your network. And you don't want to make your control input, and also the video replay can't be latent. You can't have the thing buffer at the server side, yeah, waiting to come in, because milliseconds matter. Absolutely. When you're playing games like that, well, some games, right? I mean, they, you yeah. could play some games. It, it may it might be better on games that are more turn based or something, yeah, turn based like or slower paced things like that. So, yeah. But then That's you wouldn't. You, Probably wouldn't need as much processing power, so I'd kind of. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how how it all works, but I, I know there are some there are some companies that were attempting to do something like that for their game system, where mm-hmm. you would do all of the game the gaming would be streamed to you. That's interesting. You wouldn't. So yeah, the, I mean the the actual. Keeping the multiplayer consistent would be easier, an easier problem, right? Because the play, each player would just be sending out their move commands. Mm-hmm. And then it would all be centrally, all the move commands would be actually executed centralized. So you'd have super low latency in converging the multiplayerness of it. But then getting the output, the, you know, the, the video stream back out. Right. Well, I, I, I guess technically you, you have super low latency anyway. Because the server that's doing the multiplayer stuff is, is usually another location. I guess you could well, host it well, on your but, box. But, but I mean, the way typical multiplayer stuff would be is um, the server sends you information. Okay, everyone's here, here, and here, uh-huh. and you're here. And 
you know, it moves and it keeps sending these updates, right? So there's actually latency from where the right, but from where the where the player was when the server sent the thing and where he is when you receive it. But all you're doing is you're shifting the latency from one perspective to another. You're, you haven't actually dealt with the latency latency issue. If my guy is at position X. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it also depends on how lightweight, because if you're only sending your command stream out and not having to synchronize, right, everything will converge on the server more quickly. That's an assumption. I don't know if that's true. I mean, it, it depends. There are lots of things that affect your latency other than your, you know, what the data, how big the data stream is. Yeah, I've never looked at what, like, the protocol for, like, Counter-Strike is and, like, how they track player movement and stuff like that they've had to do a lot of work i mean i know that when it you know when it first came out they had to do a lot of work to put in these kind of latency tricks uh and to and so you'd get they've done they've done better they've gotten better and better at it Mm -hmm. because some of it is is predictive calculations again this person is moving in this direction they're likely going to be here and um and then some of it is uh, it's kind of like MPEG, right? Where they have a group of frames, right? So they assume, and then yeah. they do a hard check, like, oh, he's not there. Uh-huh. So there's a jump, right? And the right. guy jumps away from. I mean, you, everyone's just seen that. You know, I, well, I haven't played a first person shooter in a while, not multiplayer. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Counter Strike, for example. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would love to, like,. I never really thought of looking into like what the protocol is like. How does it tell my computer where everyone is, and at what frequency does that update, and, and all that stuff? I'm, there, I'm sure there's a lot of actual material on that you could probably find. Yeah, plenty of open source games so you could look into the actual right. source code. No, <laughs> I could look at the source code. Could I? <laughs> could I comprehend it? You spend a lot longer time with something. Yeah. Like a Rubik's Cube, right. and you can figure it out. Right. All these uh, beers sitting yeah, here. Yeah, let's at get us. into the uh, to the beers. All right. Hey, at least we have shit to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a whole new show. <laughs> gonna turn caffeine on this time? 